podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're on the road again, on the road to Tokyo 2020 with Team GB and Para GB, and literally on the road in Yorkshire for the 2019 UCI Road World Championships with the best cyclists from across the world. I'm in Harrogate for the event at the moment. The UK last hosted it in 1982, but following a successful bid backed by the government, UK Sports, British Cycling and Welcome to Yorkshire, it returns here as the latest chapter in the Yorkshire cycling success story. We'll have all you need to know about nine days of elite cycling in Yorkshire and news on a British medal in the mixed team time trial as well. I'm Michael. And I'm John with the Doha World Athletics Championships coming up. British Athletics also named their team for the World Para Athletics Championships in Dubai. And we now know when the first British competitor for next year's Olympic Games will be announced. If we miss your sport, do tell us at anything but F on Twitter or you can message us on Insta and Facebook. Please share, like and rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts as they now call it, Spotify. We want to hear from you. This is Anything But Footy, the unashamedly biased Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. On the way, we'll be hearing from GB boxer Rosie Eccles as she gives us her thoughts following our discussion last week about concussion. If you heard the previous episode, we titled it London Steps Up for Swimming Success. You'll know what I'm talking about. If not, dig it out through all those channels that John just mentioned. Plus gold medal winning Paralympian Sophie Hahn also on your Olympic and Paralympic podcast, giving us her reaction to being selected for the IPC World Championships. But let's start here in Yorkshire then. And day one of this UCI Road World Championships saw a brand new event. It was the Yorkshire Paracycling International. Now this is the first time this event's been held in tandem with the UCI World Championships and it was all part of British Cycling's aim to make Yorkshire 2019 the most inclusive event yet 89 entrants, 26 different races and success for Great Britain and success for Yorkshire as well Beverly's Adam Duggleby was the first rider to cross the line he was piloting Hebden Bridge's Stephen Bate to victory in the B class there was a win, there's always a win for Dame Sarah Story in the C5 <laughs> class she was one of five world champions in action and today another brand new event as well the mixed team time trial the first time this has ever been held uh, the British team was Lauren Dolan Anna Henderson, Jocelyn Loudon, John Archibald, Dan Bigham and Harry Tanfield is actually from Yorkshire from up the road in Great Ayton. And Great Britain won a surprise medal in this, a bronze medal behind Germany and Netherlands. And after the race, I caught up with Scotland's John Archibald. What does it mean to you to win a bronze medal at the World Championship, John? Yeah, it's special. I mean, you couldn't have expected that. Um, We were keen for a medal, but you never know how realistic it is when there's so many aspects revolving around it. I mean, with six riders and uh, all the people finish, and just the rain the nature of everything made it really unpredictable Uh, do you think this mixed team event is well served on this stage at the world championships uh, I feel it is Um, certainly the the way it went today with the crowd support the the, uh, well just everything surrounding the event the way it felt as a rider to ride it I was certainly felt very proud to represent GB in that format and I feel it's a yeah deserved world championship yeah and what do you think about the staging here in Yorkshire Uh, it's gone incredibly Um, you always expect big things of world championships and things like that but certainly from since we arrived to how it's gone here it's um, well drilled organised and you do feel like a part of a professional event and um, that is to be expected and it is what it is yeah it's been great and you've got a busy week now because obviously you're having to step up and do a, another event after Garrett withdrawing yeah so it was um, a bit of a surprise that uh, so I'll jump at it and I'll take the opportunity uh, do as much reconnaissance as I can over the next two days and then uh, try and wing it from there 
So no opportunity really to enjoy this bronze medal tonight? No, especially not, no. Uh, so yeah, focus again on Wednesday. John Archibald talking to Michael there, a brilliant bronze. It seemed like Britain were waiting a long time for that because they did compete quite early and, and set the pace early, but a, a brilliant performance in the end, and they uh, just came behind uh, Germany and Holland, who were the uh, the champions on there. And I thought it was interesting, Michael, to see the first weekend of this event, the World Road Race Championships, as you say, the first time to be held here in Britain in 37 years, that Dame Sarah's story, as you mentioned earlier, with another victory in the uh, Paracycling International, she he described it as the best paracycling event in the UK since London 2012. Now that was seven years ago now and it seems like Yorkshire has taken the mantle from London as the capital of cycling in the UK which took it from Cambridge and maybe Yorkshire needs to do more for paracycling as well as British cycling which it has been doing for the last few years. Yeah, I think so. I think, obviously, you've got to make the difference between what British Cycling are doing at the Velodrome in Manchester, which obviously, you know, is a very track-focused programme. And we've seen, obviously, the success over various and successive Olympic Games, both Olympic and Paralympic um, success there. And that is all based around the Velodrome in Manchester that was built for the Commonwealth Games back in 2002. What Yorkshire has done, of course, and it's all part of this legacy from the, the Grand Depart in 2014, where they bought the start of the, the Tour de France here. They've basically owned road cycling in this country because, you know, the Tour de Yorkshire, whether it's just because I, I live round here, I don't know, but it seems to me, and, and I've said this on this podcast before, it seems to me now to be an established part of the, the British sporting calendar. You know, the football season ends, you have the Champions League final, the FA Cup final, the Premier League is won, and then you get into that little period of the summer, don't you, where you've got things like Royal Ascot, and you've got the Open Golf, and I think the Tour de Yorkshire now is virtually at that top table, it's virtually there. We had the Tour of Britain cycling, not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, but hardly anybody was talking about it. Again, I don't know whether it's just because I'm in, I'm in Yorkshire, but you know, I'm also in the northeast of England a lot, and Newcastle had a stage, and you know, it was very well supported in Newcastle, the, the Tour of Britain. It just doesn't, though, as an event, seem to have captured the public imagination in the way the Tour of Yorkshire has. And I think then this is just the obvious kind of uh, knock-on from that. The Grand Depart led as a legacy to the Tour of Yorkshire, and the Tour of Yorkshire and the successful staging of that has led, obviously, to these World Championships, which, you know, and speaking and hearing from a lot of the riders today, not just the British riders as well, but, you know, I was speaking to, to some of the Italian teams as they were coming through, and they were all saying this is, this is the best event, the best event they've ever taken part in. And that's already, that's mm-hmm. at the first weekend, under <laughs> real heavy rain here, and the event will get better with, you know, the elite time trials on Tuesday, Wednesday, and the road races next weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I think it's the first time I've ever watched the cycling in Yorkshire and seen rain because every time I normally tune in and yesterday when uh, Sarah Story won it, uh, it was in bright sunshine. So it was, it was different to see rain. And you mentioned nine days of, of action to come and I, wa- I want you to talk us through it in a, in, in a moment. But just to update people that Geraint Thomas, of course, the 2018 Tour de France winner, has pulled out of the time trial on Wednesday for Great Britain saying he's not in good enough shape to compete individually, which is quite an honest thing to do, isn't it? Normally you would yeah. kind of think you keep that 
quiet uh, and you'd kind of go right okay well we'll just go with it but he's decided for the best of Britain that he will step down and as we heard John Archibald in your interview say he's now looking forward to that and will step up with Alex Dowsett for that time trial on Wednesday uh, and then Thomas of course the Welshman will play a huge part in the road race team which includes national champion Ben Swift who hails from Rotherham Owen Dwill, uh, Tay Geegan Hart Ian Stannard and Adam Yates making up the team so a really strong men's team for Great Britain on home soil and I haven't even mentioned a certain Chris Froome yeah unfortunately obviously Chris Froome who, who did ride in the Tour de Yorkshire this year as we know and that was all part of his his preparations for this event the Tour de Yorkshire had an enhanced lineup, if you like in the men's Tour de Yorkshire this year the women's Tour de Yorkshire is always um, always attracts the very best women riders it's really really up there as far as road cycling is concerned for the women but the men's lineup, you know it's not quite there with the, the Grand Tours the Giro the Velta or the uh, Tour de France but this year yeah it did get a, an enhanced uh, start line and that's that's because a lot of people were coming to recce ahead of these world championships unfortunately for chris froome though as we know following the recce in yorkshire he had that really bad accident he's had more illness since as well he's had a real tough time of it and you know he'll be watching it on the television and listening to it on the podcast and is there always sunshine in yorkshire no, certainly not. I mean, it's interesting you were saying it's the first time you've seen rain because, you know, I've covered every day of the um, Tour de Yorkshire and the Grand Depart since uh, since it first came here in 2014. 2014 was good, but there, there has been there has been wet days. There has been grey days. I remember on the cow and calf where we had the hill finish a couple of years ago and it, it tipped it down with rain. And I remember as well this year, earlier this year, the first day as well, I had to, to hide out doing my work in a in a little tunnel because, again, it was it was pouring with rain but you know you know it doesn't detract if anything it, it enhances some of the entertainment i think um certainly as, as a supporter a spectator experience of course you'd love it to be in bright sunshine but you know the racers come here they, they know what to expect and you know they uh, they enjoy it and um you know and we've seen and i hate to say it but a lot of people tune in to watch road racing because not only do they want to see the tactics of the road race but you know there's always the peril and the danger of it as well we saw that in rio didn't we with you know yeah. some amazing crashes in the road race at the cycling you know that that is one of the reasons why why people will watch it and you know we've seen we've seen crashes in yorkshire over the years as well and i'm sure there'll be one or two others you know with gray's knees over the next few days we just hope there's obviously nothing serious because you mentioned the program of events obviously today we've had the team time trial mix relay uh, it's been fantastic really successful i think all the riders really enjoyed taking part in it you've got the women's junior and the men's junior individual time trial um, on the next day monday that will be the 23rd of september the under 23 individual time trial on tuesday and then the women's elite individual time trial ripon to harrogate on tuesday afternoon then on wednesday you've got the men's elite individual time trial as well north allerton to harrogate you've got a men's junior road race and a women's junior road race towards the end of the week the men's under 23 race and then the the ones that bring the curtain down if you like on yorkshire 2019 the women's Women's Elite Road Race, Bradford to Harrogate, where Otley and Yorkshire's Lizzie Armitstead will be one of the favourites. You know, she's done really well this year on the Women's Tour, head of the GC on that. So she'll be expected to do well on her home roads. And then it all finishes here in Harrogate, Leeds to Harrogate, on Sunday the 29th of September with the Men's Elite Road Race. And of course, we'll keep you up to date on anything but footy. 
Yeah, we will. This is your unashamed Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Still to come, we'll be talking more about concussion because I went down to the uh, British Boxers Gym, the GB Boxers Gym in Sheffield this week to speak to Rosie Eccles and we'll hear more about her thoughts on concussion in sport and concussion in boxing very shortly. Also on the podcast, we've got Sophie Hahn as well. We'll be speaking to John about her selection for the IPC World Athletics Championship. I note as well the Rugby World Cup is underway. Terrific win for England in their first game but I just wanted to bring it up because the opening ceremony I watched some of that online of course Japan is hosting the Rugby World Cup the first time the event's gone to Asia and Japan hosts the Olympics and the Paralympics next year and I thought the opening ceremony was was absolutely fantastic they unveiled all the nations around a recreation of Mount Fuji now if that's what they're doing for the opening ceremony of the Rugby World Cup that's got me excited I have to say for Tokyo 2020 the Olympics and the Paralympics ceremonies I know not everyone likes a ceremony personally I love them and uh, you know, I'm I'm excited about them now. <laughs> After last week's hugely successful World Para Swimming Championships at the London Aquatic Centre, of course, I was there at the last edition of Anything But Footy. It's been confirmed the Olympic venue will stay each Diving's World Series again from March the 27th, 29th next year, 2020. It is Olympic year next year and Paralympic year, incredible stuff. Uh, Tom Daly and Jack Law and Grace Reed confirmed too after their success in last year's series. So it'll be a great chance for anyone to support them to say goodbye and good luck for Tokyo 2020. And the FINA governing body has also announced the date of the FINA Diving World Cup 2020, which doubles up as a test and qualifying event as well for the 2020 Olympic Games. And that will run in April 2020. So lots of uh, action for the divers early next year. And four World Championship gold medalists are in the British team for the final swimming event of 2019 the European short course swimming championships in Glasgow this December local lad Duncan Scott Luke Greenback James Guy and James Wilby are amongst the 16 swimmers competing at yet another home championships so many sports taking place in the UK now with Michael at the World Road Race Championships of course in Yorkshire as we speak and the term short course for anyone who doesn't know is, is used to identify a pool that is just 25 metres in length because the Olympics and the World Athletics and the World uh, Swimming Championships I should say are conducted over the long course so this is the short course pool so basically there's more indoor like like in indoor athletics there's more bends there's more turns in the 25 meter pool so a lot more hard work for the swimmers and qualifying for the boxing tournament at uh, the Olympics in Tokyo will begin in London as well. So another little feather in the cap for the capital city. The World Boxing Championships, which are not part of the qualification process for Tokyo 2020, for the men have been taking place in Russia over the last week or so. Great Britain sent a team of 13. It was a mixed week for the GB men's squad. Three medals should have been more. Uh, they were pleased with six boxers in the quarterfinals. Rob McCracken, the performance director, uh, said overall we're very happy with the progress the squad is going in the right direction pat mccormack won a silver he was top of the bill if you like only the fifth british man to box in a world championship final so a bit of individual history that's in, there that's incredible yeah that's yeah. an incredible stat well i think the the interesting thing about you know the gb boxing program and when i was down there in sheffield this week someone pointed this out to me is unlike a lot of the other olympic sports 
you 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 lose a lot of your cohort all the time because obviously there's the bigger prize of, of turning professional. So yeah, you know, whilst yeah. Oli- Olympic medals are important for boxers, actually the cash, the riches, the belts are to be made and to be won when you leave the program. So yeah, Pat McCormack, only the fifth British man to box in a world championship final. Accidental clash of heads in one of the rounds really curtailed his bid for gold. Uh, but well done to Pat. Well done as well to Ben Whitaker and Peter McGrail. Some names will be following on the road to Tokyo, both winning bronze medals. The big story of the week, though, concerned <laughs> Fraser Clark, who we thought was going to win a medal. Uh, the Russians appealed. Well, he, sh- he should have won a medal. Let's be well, honest. according to the judges who, who judged and, and scored the rounds, yeah, he would have gone into the semi-finals and won a guaranteed medal. He was in the super heavyweight quarterfinal against Maxim Bebanin. The Russians appealed the result and it was overturned. The statement read, the decision of the bout review jury is to overturn the original decision based on review of the third round and applying the IABA scoring criteria. Now, the key words in that are the IABA, which, as we discussed before, is a body pretty much in disgrace. They've already been stripped um, of the the right to, if you like, host that Olympic boxing tournament. Um, great British boxing, British boxing requested more info. They were refused. They were given no opportunity um, to counter appeal. The IABA is an organisation in crisis. As I said, they're not going to be staging the Olympic boxing. They have a lack of clarity. They have a lack of openness. They have a lack of transparency. They've got huge governance issues as well. And these are not just me making these points. This is what GB Boxing are saying as well and that is why and there's so many conspiracy theories and you know for various legal reasons let's not go into them all uh, but you know that is one of the reasons rather part of the background if you like to the reasons why Fraser Clark was stripped of that medal well we've said so many times Michael how tough this sport is and and how much they're relying on proper judging and and frankly this is the difference between medals and success and and not and actually you know as you rightly have said earlier you know boxing is fighting to keep these people in the sport because they could easily go and get paid in in the professional uh, in the professional world so look as you rightly say the IOC have said enough is enough and the AIBA will not run the boxing at the Olympics next year in Tokyo and they've set up the Olympic Boxing Task Force which is currently uh, just finalising the appointment of uh, uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers to independently review the Process for selecting and evaluating boxing referees and judges. Because as Michael says, the governing body, International Boxing Association, suspended till after Tokyo from the Olympics due to concerns over finance, governance, ethics and refereeing and judging. And how very apt, because we've seen that at the World Championships and that's the reason why they are not hosting the Olympics next year. Yeah, well, I mean, I understand what Rob McCracken is saying, saying overall we're very happy with the progress. And, you know, we go back to a point that we've made time and time again. You know, it's nice to win medals uh, at the World Championships. Who wouldn't want to be a world champion boxer? But this wasn't part of the qualification process for the next Olympics. So, you know, that is a good thing. So the qualification of Fraser Clark has not been affected by this. They'll go into their qualification period now in the autumn, as I said, starting in London. And, you know, we're a year out from the Olympic Games. So you would hope that that the likes of Pat McCormack, Ben Whitaker, Peter McGraw and others, six in the quarterfinal, six boxers in the quarterfinal, as I said, that will, with another year, under their belt if you like might be able to progress to move up but that is obviously all with the caveat that the Olympic Games the IOC have got the right and proper body and the right and proper people running that boxing tournament something that they didn't have in Rio where we saw story after story about poor judging decisions and judges being sent home and all the rest of it Tokyo boxing of course um, we spoke 
at length last week about it and you know we talked about concussion this is because of some comments that Rob McCracken the performance director um, had said on a podcast um, he then subsequently explained those comments and you know I think basically apologised for being a little bit slack in his language the word he used was concussion where maybe the word he wanted to use was was dazed or something like that and as I said I went to Sheffield this week to meet some of the uh, the boxers there that the women's team is going to be named in the next few days so um, hopefully next week we'll be speaking on this podcast anything but footy your Olympic and Paralympic podcast to some of those women who are also going to Russia for their world championship but I did grab a word with Rosie Eccles because I knew that she had uh, been concussed in a fight um, she's hoping to be part of that women's team and she gave me her reaction to last week's debate on anything but footy about concussion protocols so I had a serious concussion a couple of years ago and the treatment I received was amazing um, after that and a lot of people get you get a lot of people have opinions about this sort of thing but they're not in our sport and at the end of the day we're in a sport where you get punched in the head and at the end of the day there's a chance you'll get concussed and there's a chance you'll be dazed and you put faith in your judgement and also your coach's judgement and there's been a lot going on this last week and actually speaking as a fighter and who's in this environment I think people get confused with terms and actually we're in a sport where it, the risk of head injury is very high but it's managed and at the end of the day we're all adults and we're responsible and we choose to do this sport and because I honestly believe my life with this sport and with the risk of concussion is so much more fulfilled than my life without it and I think that's what people maybe other people don't realise that actually what boxing gives people is a lot more than the risk that it poses and when you had your serious concussion what yeah. was the protocol did you have to just basically sit yeah. out it was yeah it was, so basically I'd, I went to the European final and I think I had a concussion but no one I, I didn't even know and no one would have known um, I come back and after the Europeans and I didn't feel very great this was a few years ago and I didn't really know what was wrong and then I went back to Spain and I got I got hit and they picked up that I must have had a concussion and had a more serious one and then the treatment I had was amazing I had it with Sport Wales sadly for four months I was on complete cognitive rest um, which, which was awful um, but then I got brought back and they brought back slowly you know Colin Jones really looked after me, made sure I wasn't sparring properly until even after I'd had the old clear he kept me off the sparring and made sure I was fit physically before he even considered putting me in a ring and the care I had there that was before getting on GB was no end you know and they really looked after me and they still continue to and I think that's what people don't realise, they see the horrible stuff when someone's concussed but they don't see the teams pull together behind the scenes and that's massively what happened for my case uh, two years ago So just final question on this in NFL for example they've got observers that sit in the yeah. stands if they spot something yeah. they then radio down could that work in no, boxing? No I genuinely don't think it could work because in NFL the aim isn't to punch people in the head in in boxing the aim is to punch people in the head and I think of course you're going to see someone take a shot but you don't realize we're conditioned in a different way to NFL players we're conditioned to the sport that we do and I think pulling people out because they're taking a shot it's gonna, it'll ruin the sport and at the end of the day as I said we're adults we consent we know of the risks um, yeah I think it wouldn't work I think there's protocols afterwards you have, you have a medical before every fight if doctors pick up one and if a coach picks up your concussed there's no way they're going to put you in the ring absolutely no way and Michael, what I like about what Rosie said to you there was that, you know, you said that last week we need a standard approach across all sport. Um, you know, something like WADA with drugs. You know, someone needs to step up and say, right, this is the concussion rules for all of the sports. But what she's saying is, yes, that's absolutely what we should be doing. But also, nobody in boxing is going to be put at risk. She, she you know, has experience of this. She said, you know, I, w- I was not going to be put at risk by the doctors. 
Yeah, and you only have to go and, and speak and spend a little bit of time at that facility at the English Institute of Sport in Sheffield to know that, that welfare is, is first and foremost. You know, a gold medal, a world championship title, whatever, is, is fantastic. But we know how serious, uh, if someone was, was properly concussed, we know how serious a brain injury um, could be if they were subsequently put back in the ring. And there's no way in the world that that GB programme, and we go back to words that we've just used about the AIBA, for example, where you look at welfare and governance, there's no way in the world that anyone in that programme would put a boxer in the ring if they felt that there was any potential lasting effects or lasting damage to their health. Still to come on Anything But Footy, your Olympic and Paralympic podcast, we will be talking about the, we, the first British athletes for Tokyo 2020. They are about to be revealed. That is still to come. But in athletics, Captain Richard Kilty has a certain ring to it, I thought, Michael. Well done Captain to the... Captain Kilty. <laughs> well done to the Teesside Tornado. Uh, he has been voted by fellow British athletes to be the skipper for the World Championships in Doha. Starts this coming Friday, September the 27th. If you haven't heard our preview pod, make sure you go back and listen to that. Anything but footy. A countdown to Doha is well worth a listen. The sprinter is in his fourth consecutive world championships and in the 4x100 relay squad looking to defend their world title of course he received the most votes from every member of the 73 strong British team and described it as an incredible huge honour which I think it rightly is uh, recognised that he is Captain Kilty and we're looking forward to seeing him. He's one of 1,928 entries comprising of 1,000 men and uh, 889 women in Doha and, uh, as I say, worth listening to our Countdown to Doha 2019 special because we look ahead to that. And staying with athletics because an interesting uh, team announcement this week, double 2016 Paralympic champion Libby Clegg returning for the first time since success in Rio at a major championships for Great Britain as one of 43 athletes confirmed in the team for the World Para Athletics Championships which will take place in Dubai in November. Now the 29 year old Clegg gave birth to son Edward in April this year and will take on the T11 200 metres with guide Thomas Summers. There are 11 world champions from London 2017 returning to the team including 10 time world champion Hannah Cockcroft, Holly Arnold, Sophie Hahn, Olivia Breen, Kadena Cox, Sophie Camlish Sammy Kinghorn who's back to full fitness after months of injury Steph Reed and two-time Paralympic gold medalist Alan Davis Johnny Peacock and Richard Whitehead now Sophie Hahn is a 22-year-old sprinter and this is real legacy from 2012 which we talked about so much on anything but football she watched it as a 15 year old and she then came into the world the Paralympic sport and para-athletic sport uh, she is the T38 100 metre Grand Slam champion she's broken the world record in the 100 metres earlier this season she's the reigning 100 and 200 metre world champion and she's told us that she's going there for more success I'm very excited. Um, it's a huge honour to represent Great Britain, and I'm very excited to see what the team can do. And just can't wait to go see Dubai. Really, I think it's always um, a sort of good landmark to see. Yep, all the trains getting in the right direction. Obviously, the season's so long, so you have to sort of like plan. Um, so yeah, I've got a great support, a great team behind me, and yeah, just going to keep training hard and get ready for the champs. It's going to be busy, but I'll be ready. I'd love to retain my title in the one and two. Um, obviously, world record would be nice, but I think it's all about crossing the line first, hopefully winning the gold. And then for the relay, just give all I've got. Obviously, three gold medals would be nice, but you never know what's going to happen on the day, but that's, I would love to do that. Sophie Hahn with a list of achievements there that John has mentioned and also stole a photo I took of her um, and used it as her Twitter profile picture for a long time. <laughs> uh, so- 
I took a picture of her in uh, the Gold Coast of the Commonwealth Games uh, with her medal and I posted it and uh, she obviously nicked it off me and used it but you know if, if you won that many Paralympic medals and you won medals at the Commonwealth Games I think I'll, I'll forgive you you are, you are officially forgiven Sophie <laughs> and that championships take place in November and we'll talk more about that on anything but football in the weeks to come just a quick one after the edition at the World Swimming in London Michael a few people said why don't you explain the categories uh, in, in the, uh, the Paralympic sports and look we absolutely can and we absolutely will but almost most of the athletes say to us don't worry about it we just want to be judged on our success or not rather than the category but we will keep informing you as we go and I just want to say hello to uh, Scott Wilson, who's the chief sports writer at the Northern Echo, a uh, very famous newspaper in the northeast of England. He's a big fan of anything but footy, he told me this week, and has subscribed to the podcast. So thank you very much for that, Scott. In shooting, Great Britain have won shooting medals at the European Championships in Bologna. Uh, bronze medal for Sinead McIntosh and Ken Parr in the mixed prone event. Also, Amber Hill and Ben Llewellyn, ben Llewellyn uh, won a bronze medal in the mixed ski team event as well. Anything but footy has been told that October the 1st will be the date the first British athletes for the Tokyo Olympics 2020 will be revealed. Uh, Chef de mission Mark England will be revealing who they'll be in pool. Maybe a clue there. Uh, Stay with (laughs) us at Anything But Footy as we remain on track for Tokyo. And talking of revealing teams, the BOA, the British Olympic Association, have named 21 athletes to represent Team GB in the inaugural beach games. I wonder whether Paul might be bidding to host the beach games in the future. Seven disciplines, 97 countries will all be gathering in Doha. Uh, The sports include beach soccer, bouldering, kite surfing, skateboarding, where Sky Brown was one of those athletes named, the 11-year-old skateboarder, water skiing, wakeboarding and aquathlon. Aquathlon. Not quite sure what that is, but it's one of the seven disciplines, part of the beach games. Have we had an invite for that? I am not sure that we've had an invite to go to Doha, but I'm very, very, very happy if they want me to go to uh, smash out my swimming trunks and my knotted hanky and get myself on a plane. Oh, good grief. Well, that is it. String vest, oh dear. Yes, lovely image, lovely image to leave you with. That is it. Uh, That is the way we're going to leave anything but footy today, uh, with me in a string vest and a knotted handkerchief from Harrogate at the uh, Road World Cycling Championships. I just want to say, uh, before we go, you can always contact us, of course, on Twitter at anythingbutf. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, You can download us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can even drop us an email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com and pick us up on anything that we might have said on the podcast even if it's about my string vest and my knotted handkerchief if we haven't mentioned your sport and you'd like us to then do get in touch with us or if you want us to try and explain something about olympic and paralympic sport we'd love to be able to help you out and we'll leave you by just saying happy birthday to the international paralympic committee which is 30 years old today from anything but footy we say many happy returns Podcast Network.